White Winter, Part 1. Christmas is about tradition, isn't it? It's about us collectively and shamelessly doing the same things over and over again in an attempt to capture a modicum of that leftover magic from our formative years. We eat the same foods, we hang the same decorations, we listen to the same songs. In short, that's why I was sitting in the back of Fox's Bar and Inn on the 23rd of December. I was sat at that specific table, in the far left corner of the room, situated between the stairs and the bar, because it was our table, the one we had managed to snag every year, apart from the last one. My friends and I had been meeting there on the eve of Christmas Eve, ever since our early twenties, which covered the last twelve years. Fox's had a reputation of being a hipster bar, due to its penchant for obscure experimental indie and its host of craft beers. But we had chosen it for the holidays, primarily for the soft Christmas jazz, the retro tinsel and the communal bowl of mulled wine which was filled with cinnamon sticks, cloves and orange slices in addition to being sweetened with brown sugar and honey. The huge tree stood in the opposite corner of the room. That's why we had chosen this table, specifically, all those years ago, because Sophie had a weird phobia of Christmas lights and preferred to sit as far away from them as possible. And of course, Fox's was famous around town for having that huge, roaring open fire which kept it toasty all year long, no matter how fierce the cold outside grew. I sipped my second hot whiskey of the evening. I had a touch of a head cold still lingering, and this usually alleviated the sore throat, temporarily at the very least. A cinnamon stick swirled around the inside and the glass was rimmed by brown sugar. Like I said, hipster's man. I was nibbling on the crystallized sugar when a drunk man sat in the chair opposite me, in Katie's usual seat. He had a bulbous red nose, and those purple, broken veins protruding against his cheeks, the way that was typical of alcoholics. His hair had a washed-out quality, as if he were perpetually just out of the rain. All right, love, what's your name? He murmured. I continued to scroll through my phone. I had developed a habit of reading messages in group chats over and over again, as if I could discern some sort of extra meaning from the messages the 30th or 40th time. I tried to pretend that I didn't hear the drunken man from across the table. He leaned in so close that I could smell the sickly sweet aroma of aftershave, melding with vodka as he said, Excuse me, love. Excuse me. I felt forced to glance up at him. What's your name? He asked. Grace, I said. His face screwed up, appearing to explore all ten phases of the pain chart, before finally deciding upon number three. Can I sit here, Grace? You seem like a nice girl. I shook my head. Jenny, from the salon that was cleverly named Jenny Salon, had done my hair into curls. I could feel them whipping against my cheeks. I'm saving those for my friends. I'm sorry. He stuck his glass to the table and rotated it so much that I heard it grinding against the wood. That's a shame, he muttered, appearing to become lost in a thought. His eyes strayed, as if chasing after it. Oddly, I thought I saw something bright and orange flash in those eyes for a moment. I thought it might have been the Christmas lights or the open fire, but he had his back to both of those. 
I decided that it was probably just the overhead lights. Terence, the senior barman, who'd been there back at the beginning of our tradition, back when he'd been the younger of the two barmen, shouted, Oi, Parig, leave her alone, would ye? He held up his hands in a show of innocence, as if to say, Sorry for trying to be friendly during this festive season. Quickly, he blessed himself, then gave me one more long, lingering stare before saying, God bless ye, love. He waited for me to say it back. Take care. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. The beginnings of a sneer curled around his upper lip, but mercifully, he departed the table. I worried that he might retry his luck, but thankfully, I wasn't waiting much longer on a friendly face as Oren arrived through the front door. And speaking of his face, his cheeks glowed as brightly as two hot coals. His hair and coat were both covered in snow. He glanced to our table, and once he saw that I sat there, he waved with a gloved hand before wandering over to warm himself directly in front of the fire for a couple of minutes. Once satisfied with that, he sauntered over to me. All right, Gracie, he said. All right, I said. Aside from my mum, he was the only person I led away with calling me Gracie, and that included past partners. I didn't realise it was so wild out there. Aye, it's horrendous. Worst it's been since. And then he appeared to intentionally cut his thought short. You know what? I'm going to go hang my coat before I settle in properly, because I can still feel the cold seeping under my jumper. Work away. When he returned to the table, he was cradling a mug of mulled wine. His Christmas jumper was visible now. In typical Oren fashion, he couldn't be content with a normal one. He had instead opted for one that lit up. The green and red lights dotting the Christmas pudding lit interchangeably, as did Rudolph's big red nose. He settled himself down. How have things been, eh, Gracie? I held up a finger, as if to say, You're breaking the sacred rule, remember? Oh right, that's stupid tradition. Keep it to general chit-chat with no proper catching up, until everyone's here. That's right, and it's not a stupid tradition. Or inside. Weather's a bit shit, innit? I rolled my eyes. We were interrupted by the sound of smashing glass as someone cried out, For fuck's sake, Parig! Terence just slapped his forehead as Milo, the junior barman, scurried around to the other side with a dustpan and brush and began sweeping glass into the pan. Oren grimaced. I see we've downgraded the clientele in here. Yeah, the class has really dipped since the glory years, like that time you puked all over the bathroom floor. Excuse me, Oren said, but I'll have you know that the mulled wine was a bit off that year, and I tried my best to make it to the cubicle. Is that what it was? That's what it was. Well... There's no shame in being slightly premature. He laughed hard at that one, as I knew he would. He liked it when I was crass. It was an ability that I could pull out of my locker every once in a while. Such was a natural consequence of growing up with Julian Gallagher for an older brother. Eventually, the door opened again and in scampered Sophie. She wore a sparkly pink hat and sparkly pink gloves. When she removed her coat, she revealed a sparkly pink Christmas jumper. As she made her way over to us, I saw that even her cheeks, chin and forehead were pink, rather than orange stubborn red, which was still cooling off. Nice to see you've claimed our table again this year, Sophie said. Back to whence it came, Oren said uncertainly. 
I did promise everyone I'd never let it be stolen again, I said. What time have you been here since, Gracie? Oren said. Did you wander in around 12pm, stumbling in with all the other regular geezers? I never left from last night. Oren had to spit his mouthful of mulled wine into his drink, lest he spread across the table in a laughing fit. Really though, how early did you have to get here to get it? Sophie inquired. You don't want to know the real answer to that. I'll just say that it feels like forever. Fine then. Sophie swirled around. That's what she actually did. She couldn't simply turn her head to indicate she was speaking to someone else. Not our Sophie. Instead, she had to dramatically point her whole body at her person of focus. How's the mulled wine this year? Excellent, Oren said. Without a further word, Sophie scurried off and poured herself out a mug of the hot wine before she sat down at their table. So, how's things? I held up a finger. Oh right, the rule. Christ, Oren said before leaning back and resting his hands across his belly as if he'd only just consumed an ample roast dinner. I sure hope that Connor can make it. I'd hate to be stuck here in conversational limbo all night. Why wouldn't he? I asked. Oh, you know, the weather's complete shit and he lives out in the sticks. Ashmore isn't too far out, Sophie argued. You make it sound like it's North Korea or something. It might as well be. Oh, I said. The way you said that sounded like he might have died or something. Oren laughed. If only we were so lucky. Oren, that's an awful thing to say, Sophie said. Sorry. Now go into the corner and say ten Our Fathers and fifteen Hail Marys. Yes, ma'am. The next person to enter the bar, however, was Connor. His long beard was matted in snow. His hair fell to either side of his face, framing it like a set of old curtains. After hanging up his coat, he didn't even bother to acknowledge us until Milo had poured him out a pint of Guinness. Best head I've ever seen, he could be heard telling the junior bartender across the room. Milo beamed, as if he'd just been awarded an OBE. When Connor had his fix, he drifted across the room to stand over us. All right there, sir. How can we help you? Oren said. All right. Very funny, Connor said. What? You think just because it's Christmas we'll let you show up as a homeless man without giving you grief, Sophie said. Hilarious. I was thinking for a second that our Lord and Saviour had returned to celebrate his birthday with us, I said. No. Jesus was supposedly good looking, Oren said. I was thinking more along the lines of jolly old Saint Nick, once you age him up a bit. My gut's not that bad, is it? Connor asked. Give it a few more stouts, Oren suggested. Connor bellowed out a big sarcastic laugh, then offered each of us the middle finger. Fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. I knew I should have had a few drinks before landing out. Why's that? Oren asked. Because I need a buzz to listen to your shite. We all laughed. When Connor finally allowed himself to sit, I became aware of someone descending the stairs. I glanced over and realised to my immense surprise that it was Katie. Despite being a 33-year-old woman at this stage, Katie was still often hit for ID when buying alcohol. She just had that sort of face. She had long, red hair, freckles, a pair of emerald eyes and a button nose. But for a second, a little flash, I thought I saw some degree of weariness catching up on her, perhaps offering a brief glimpse of the old woman she might one day become. Honestly, 
I was just relieved to know that she was mortal, like the rest of us. We all reeled to see her. Were you up there the whole time? I asked. Aye, she said simply, shortly. I informed her that I'd been here for at least a couple of hours and hadn't realised that she was here too. Didn't we say last year that we'd try upstairs the next time? Katie asked. I don't really remember last year, Connor said fondly. Never mind last year, lad. You can barely even remember yesterday, Oren said. Har har. I did remember that, Sophie said, but when I saw Grace sitting here, I thought we decided against it. As the spotlight fell onto me, I shrugged. Well, we were all drunk and I didn't think it was a serious suggestion to be honest. Even after I qualified that I wasn't joking, I just thought that this is our table, right? I mean, it's tradition that we always sit here. She seemed slightly peeved at first, but weirdly, to me, it almost felt like a performance, as if she merely wished to be seen to be angry, rather than it deriving from any authentic emotion. But finally, she let go of the act and allowed her shoulders to relax. I suppose it is tradition. Really, Katie? Just like that? This, from the same woman who'd once stopped talking to a co-worker because they'd taken her parking space? Is there a bar upstairs or have you been nursing that mug for a couple of hours? Oren said. Katie glanced down to the mug in her hands. I promised myself I'd only have the one before you all arrived. Can't be getting myself in a state again, can I? No, Sophie said, especially when you have a wee one to get back to. Katie settled down into her usual seat, the one that was opposite mine. I caught her eyes briefly before Sophie said, Alright, we're all here now. That's the main thing. Oren's expression opened up, becoming almost comically joyous. Wait a minute, are you telling me that we can finally talk? Do you mean the embargo has been lifted? Connor said. I shoved his shoulder. Alright, don't make me out to be Christmas Hitler or anything. I just wanted us all to catch up together so that nobody feels left out. Typical Grace, Katie said, always trying to keep everyone happy. That's just what I do. We all began catching up after that. Connor was still with his band, Strangle Cat, still making music, though he seemed to have abandoned any notion of doing it full time now. I guess I've given up on the dream of being a rock star god, of selling out Wembley and writing the next What's the Story Morning Glory. But that doesn't mean I'll ever stop loving playing. In fact, it's actually more liberating to play just for the fun of it. And I really enjoy working in the cafe these days. I enjoy the simplicity of making people coffee and bagging them buns, then observing them as they relax. I like to people watch. Everyone thinks you eventually get sick of the smells of coffee and fresh pastry. But I never have, and doubt I ever will. Sophie barely even talked about her software development job. Instead, she mostly spoke about her dad. Her mother had passed away after a long battle with alcoholism and a shorter battle with cancer the latter likely being caused by the former, since it was of the esophagus, and now her dad was showing signs of dementia. He calls me by my sister's name all the time. It's Kaylee this and Kaylee that. When I correct him, he tries to play it off like he's just a touch forgetful. But I know all the telltale signs, especially after Granny. I've stopped correcting him recently. It's a horrible disease, Katie said. I'm really sorry to hear that, I said. It's okay, she said, then snorted. Sorry to bring the mood down. You're alright, Connor said. Sure, 
Orin does that already, purely by existing. Hey. And to my astonishment, Sophie laughed. It was truly amazing how people could laugh after being faced with such hardship. I admired the courage. I began to realise how important this all was, this little ritual that we'd established. In keeping it up, we'd forged ourselves into a second family, able to celebrate together, even when things were falling apart with our blood relatives. It might be cheesy to say, but I sensed there was something eternal, something evergreen between us. But maybe that's just something that all friend groups tell themselves. Oren was still working in the same office for a housing agency and had since been promoted to the role of assistant manager. I hate having power over people, but I've also heard that that's the way that leaders should feel, so I don't know if that's a good sign or not. He also reported that Corey had now gone into primary school and that Kyle was walking around and occasionally saying the F word. No idea where he picked it up from though, the cheeky wee fucker. Jesus, primary school, Connor said. That's scary. I still mind when Corey was six months old and looked like Smeagol. Connor, I exclaimed, aghast. That's all right, Gracie, Warren said. He did go through some rough patches with his hair, to be fair. The wee critter, Sophie lamented. I just meant, it's scary how fast it all went, Connor said. We're getting old, Sophie said. Katie grimaced at that, as if the very idea caused her physical pain. Something was up with her tonight. She just wasn't quite at herself. She was very light on any details regarding her own life, simply stating that not much had changed for her. When probed on this, she responded that she was trucking away, going on walks, reading books, watching TV, hosting visits from family, having a glass of red wine, then falling asleep. Then repeat. Feels like I've done that for years now. Maybe that's a bit sad. No, Connor said. The simple life is the good life. Weirdly, I noticed that she'd said nothing about her work or her daughter Dervla. Come on, Gracie, Oren said, leaning over the table. It's your turn now. You've kept your secrets long enough. I smiled. Well, since you asked, and just as I said that, Paul Ray collapsed into the Christmas tree. We were all startled by it, of course, but I had noticed a particularly big jump from Sophie. Milo immediately sprang out from around the bar, either to assist him or to fix the tree, but Terence howled and cried, For fuck's sake, Parig! Shay, would you sort him out? Shay, the big square-headed bouncer, wandered over and grabbed Parig by the scruff. All right, big man, you need to be on your bike. What? Parig said. You can't toss me out there. Look at the state of it. And as he opened up the door, I saw it now. The intense snowfall which made it seem darker than oblivion out there. Shay grimaced, perhaps after being slapped up the face by that sickly sweet aroma emanating from Parig. It's just a bit of snow and you've had far too much tonight. Go home, light a fire and watch a movie. You can do anything you want, except be here. Parig became hysterical. That was actually what frightened me, far more than the sound of the crashing tree. He was like one of those animals that you see in nature documentaries when cornered by a pack of wolves. No, he was more like a hyena, caught in a trap, the way he became wild and frantic. No, Shay, I need to be here. No, you don't, Shay said, then dumped him outside before closing the door behind him. There was an awkward pause in proceedings until Terence instructed Milo to crank up the Christmas music. Slowly, 
the man named Parig was forgotten beneath the lulling festive jazz. Connor gulped down most of his Guinness, then wiped his mouth. Fuck, I wonder what that was all about. After that, one of the framed pictures, that iconic one of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston, fell and hit the ground. Luckily, it didn't shatter, but it did startle Katie so badly that she bounded up and shrieked at the top of her lungs. When she realised what it was, she settled down and said, Oh Jesus, sorry, sorry. Milo was heading over to put the frame back in place. Plenty of people were glancing at our table now, as if we'd been the ones to cause it to fall. Probably, it was Katie's reaction that had startled them more than anything else. Oren was laughing. Actual tears were running down his face and everything. I didn't know you had that on you, Katie. That's some set of pipes you have there, Connor said admiringly. Wish I could do that, Sophie said. But I swear, I scream like a man. That's okay. Luca once told me that I scream like a bear. I said, Under what circumstances? Connor asked. Not any of the ones you're thinking of. I said, That's a shame. Superstitious much, Katie? Oren said. Do you believe in ghosts or something? She simply smoothed out her dress and looked very put out as she said, Don't be so ridiculous, Oren. But I thought I detected a quiver in her voice as if she really had seen an apparition. Yeah, no ghost talk, I insisted. My apologies, Christmas Hitler, Oren said. I laughed. I just mean, it's not very festive, is it? You already had Halloween. What do you mean, Connor said. Spooky things and Christmas go together like crackers and hummus. Jesus, Connor. Oren wrinkled his nose. Your metaphors need serious work. First of all, that was a simile. Second of all, My point still stands. I mean, there's a tradition of ghost stories being told around Christmas, isn't there? We all brooded on it. Well, there's a Christmas carol, Sophie said. That's the obvious one. And there's a Muppets Christmas carol, Connor said, even more obviously. Trust you to be an expert on Muppets, Oren said. I suppose that you do have Krampus, Belsnickel, and all the other creepy folk tales told by other cultures. I conceded. Not really ghost stories as such, but still within that spooky realm. And the signal man, Oren said. And gremlins, Connor added. We all looked at him. What? They're great movies. They? I inquired. As in plural? Connor pointed at me across the table. Don't you dare tell me you didn't have an amazing time with gremlins too. I simply won't hear it. Oh yeah, watch it every week, I said. For fuck's sake, Connor. Always dragging the conversation down, Oren said. He raised his glass of mostly drunken Guinness. Hey, that's what I'm here for. So that's what it is, Sophie said. I was beginning to wonder why we kept you around. That and my charms, Connor said. So do you believe then? I asked Oren, giving everyone conversational whiplash. He looked at me, as if about to dissect some creature, if only he first figured out where to plunge the knife. Do I believe in what? I smiled patiently. You know what? Do you believe in ghosts? Katie shifted, uncomfortable in her chair. Oren leaned back. A weight appeared to fall onto his shoulders. What? I said. You asked the question first. He gazed off into the distance for a long time. At first, I found his silence amusing, in a melodramatic sort of way. It was clear by the expressions of both Connor and Sophie that they fought along the same lines, but Katie was silent, as if curious, ready to listen. 
The longer that silence bore on, the less amusing this all became to me, until finally he sighed, leaned across the table and said, I could tell you a story, but... Oh, story time, Sophie clapped, my favourite. We all looked at her. Sorry, read the room, Sophie, she admonished herself. I was going to say, I could tell you all a story, but you'll probably laugh at it. No, we won't, Connor said. Cross me heart and hope to die. If you have something to say on it, then you should just come out and say it, I suggested. Right, Katie? Katie seemed distracted. I found myself wondering if she actually believed in such things, but I'd never previously taken her to be that sort of person. Oh yeah, she said. A story would be a fun way to pass the time. Orin grimaced. Well, I can't promise that it'll be much fun, but I'll tell it anyway.